Father, we just, um, we are just sitting in your presence, just thankful, um, thankful to be in the room. We're thankful for a week of prayer, um, of time set aside to be with you. Um, and so, Father, I just ask that today you would continue moving as you have been, um, that we would see an outpouring of your spirit this morning. Would you open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, our, our souls to what you have for us? Um, and would we be able to receive uh, what your word says today? In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I want to start today by asking you all a question, okay? Uh, if I were talking to you out in the lobby, let's just assume we're out casually chatting it up in the lobby, and I just, you know, I, I kind of get serious for a second, and I say, what do you care about? All right, what is your purpose? What are the most important things in your life? What would you say? Like, what would you say? I want you to think about that. Think about that. Maybe even pull out your phone right now. Like, that's okay if you pull out your phone right now. Pull out your phone, write those top three things down maybe. Just write them down. Think about it. I'll give you a second to think through it. What's the most important things in your life? What is your purpose? What do you care about? Your values? All right, leave that there now that you've thought about it. Leave it there. We're going to come back to it in a little bit, okay? Let me tell you this story about two influential guys in my life, these spiritual giants, John Ortberg and Dallas Willard, okay? And so John Ortberg was pastoring a church um, up and coming. It was growing. Lots of people that he's pastoring, and he, you know, is getting into all the ministry stuff. He's like, I'm getting busy, all these different things. What's going on? I need to make sure that I'm taken care of so I don't get burnt out. So he calls his spiritual mentor, this sage wisdom, Dallas Willard, he calls him up, who's, he's gone down the road a little bit more, so maybe he has some you know, tidbits of wisdom that he could get. And so he calls him, he's like, hey, Dallas, I, what can you tell me? How can I be spiritually healthy? What do I need to do? And I imagine he's like getting his notepad ready. He's like, all right, what is he going to tell me? There's going to be a whole list of things. And Willard's answer was this. After pausing for a long time, it felt like forever, silence on the phone, He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And naturally, Orberg, you know, with his checklist, he's like, all right, what else? What's next? You know, like one out of five. You know, he's expecting this like article of like the five things you need to do to be spiritually healthy. And it's like, number one, perfect, let's go. And and he sits there, he's like, what else? And, And Willard says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There's something about that phrase, the great enemy of spiritual life. That is not what I would expect, okay? If you asked me, like if you came up to me today and were like, Nick, what are the the biggest things, the greatest enemy of our spiritual life? Boy, there would be like 20 things before hurry. Like lots of things that are like, oh, this is going on and this is going on. But hurry? No, no, no. That's down the list a little ways. But what's interesting is that a five-year study done by researcher Michael Zigarelli asked 20,000 Christians what the number one distraction from life with God was. And do you want to know what the top answer was? Busyness. Busyness. This is what he writes. He says, it may be the case that Christians are, you know, one, they assimilate to a culture of busyness. Okay, of hurry and overload, and they assimilate to this, and that leads to God becoming more marginalized 
in the Christian's lives. And then it leads to a deteriorating relationship between them and God. And then it leads to them becoming even more vulnerable to the secular way of life because, you know, they're so distant from God that they're just listening to this. And that, you know what that leads to? It leads to more hurry and overload. And the cycle continues and continues and continues. That sounds about right. I don't know about you. You're like, yeah, that sounds real. That sounds like me. But it's weird that we don't treat busyness like a problem. We don't treat it like a problem. Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And that's obviously some very bold words, maybe a little tongue in cheek, but it communicates the reality that we have here. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Think about it. The enemy doesn't need you to be bad. He doesn't need you to be this dirty, rotten sinner. He just needs to keep you from doing good. All he needs to do to succeed is to keep you from bringing kingdom. He needs to keep you from bringing heaven into earth. He just needs you to be ineffective. He just needs you to be ineffective. And I'm sure you're agreeing with all this stuff. You're like, yeah, that's fair. I totally understand. But yet we still don't see busyness as a problem, as the parasite that it is on our lives. We just view it as a part of life, right? It's like, oh, how are you? I'm good, just busy. Just busy, they use, you know. Like, that's just the way life goes. You get busy. That's what happens when you have kids. That's what happens when you work multiple jobs. That's what happens when you have to care for a sick or dying family member. That's what happens when you have a demanding or important role in your place of work. That's what happens when blank, blah, blank, blah, blank, fill in in for yourself. Nobody's excluded from this. I know you've all said it. We are all terribly busy and we just think it's normal. No one's excluded. Not even pastors are excluded from this. You know how many times I've heard from pastors over the years say, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I'm super busy, but that's just what happens when you care about the kingdom. Sunday's always coming. They always say that. They say that's what happens when you plant a church. That's what happens when you have a staff to take care of. That's part of the job. Ministry never stops. We have all settled for an overcrowded, busy lifestyle. And in turn, we have settled for spiritual unhealth. Like, we need a reality check today. That's what this message is. Today's a reality check. We have settled for spiritual unhealth. Last week, we started this new teaching series called Prepared for an Outpouring. And we're looking over the next several weeks at all the different areas of our lives that we need to prepare for an outpouring from God. And so we started with this idea of prayer last week being the foundation beneath it all. No outpouring will happen without prayer, without a a dialogue with the divine is what Luke called it. If we're not communing with God, we'll miss him every single time. And today, we're going to talk about the first area of our lives, aside from prayer, that we need to start preparing. And that, my friends, is our schedule. It's your calendar. Nobody likes to talk about that. But boy, you have to give it to God. (laughs) We need to address our busyness. We need to address our full schedules that are getting away from this. They're, They're controlling us more than we control them at this point. And in order to do that, in order to open up our schedules to make room for the Spirit of God to move and pour out on our lives, we look to the way of Jesus. 
We look to the way of Jesus because we are a community. Okay, if you're new here, here's what we're all about. We are a community that looks to the way of Jesus for everything that we do. First and foremost, we look at the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to look at a few pieces of scripture today straight from his life. Uh, And the verses will be on the screens, but I also want to let you know that if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one and you want to own one, we have one for you. We have one with your name on it. It doesn't actually have your name on it, but it could if you want. Uh, It's out in the lobby. If you can go out there, if you need one, you can go out there right now. I won't be offended if you get up. You can also go after the service and get a Bible for yourself. We would love to give you one. Okay, let's get into it. Today for our first passage, I'm going to be in John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Jesus is saying, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. They didn't understand the point. So therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, he's trying to spell it out for him. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come to bring life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, what does he do? He abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for these sheep. But I, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, the funny thing about sheep, and it's contrary to popular belief, all right, if you, uh, you might have heard this before, that sheep are really dumb. Has anybody heard that? That sheep are stupid creatures? Yes. Fun fact, they're not. What? I know. They're actually very intelligent. Let me tell you why they're very intelligent. What Jesus said is exactly true. Sheep can recognize their master's voice. They can recognize even just a simple call. They can hear and understand, and they're like, oh, that's, the, that's my shepherd. But if somebody else came over, like Jesus said, a thief or a robber, if somebody else shows up and is like, hey, come out, and he gives the call or whatever, the sheep won't follow. In fact, they might even run away because they know that's not their master's voice. I think that's brilliant that Jesus is making this connection here. He's making this analogy to communicate something on multiple layers. He's saying, hey, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. All right, we're on the same page about that. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. They've spent their life listening to it, following it. And other voices, thieves and robbers, they show up, the voices that they don't recognize, and they don't listen because they know it's not their shepherd. And so Jesus is saying, just as the father knows me, And I know the Father, guess what? I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They know my voice. They know 
who I am. And so there's this intimate knowing that takes place where enough time has been spent together that you just know them so, so well. You just know each other. And that's our first point for today. Jesus' schedule was defined by intimacy with the Father. His schedule was defined by intimacy with the Father. And through it all, through all of that, all of the time that he spends with God, trust me, a lot of time. If you look at the Gospels, so much time was spent praying and listening to God and being in his presence. And through all of that, he knows his Father well. So much so that we see in Matthew 4, after 40 days of fasting and praying, bro, we did one week, 40 days of fasting and praying, just him and God in the middle of the desert, the enemy shows up. It says that the enemy shows up and starts tenting him with all these different things. And you know what he says? He says, no. Why do you think he says that? I don't believe that he said that because he was God and so he somehow has this higher willpower than any of us. No, it's because he knew his father's voice. The enemy shows up and he said, no, 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 no. That's not my father. I know my father's voice. I know my shepherd. I know the voice of my shepherd and that is not it. Right now, there's a void in your life. I'm sure we all feel like there's just this hole somewhere that's trying to get filled with something. And we keep trying to fill it with more stuff, more distractions, more possessions, whatever it is, more things on our calendar, our to-do list, whatever you want to say it is. We keep trying to fill this hole, but what we need to do is we need to become reacquainted with the voice of God so that he can lead us well, so that he can lead us to what he called in verse 10, life and life to the full a full life, everything it was intended to be. You know, what's interesting about the sheep is that obviously no shepherd can, you know, be a shepherd forever. Eventually they have to either retire or or die or something happens where they need a new shepherd. The flock needs a new guy. Okay. And so what would happen is a person would show up to be the apprentice to this shepherd. But obviously because sheep don't recognize strangers, they can't just like start first day on the job. No, it takes time. It takes intentional time pouring out, getting to know the sheep and the sheep getting to know his voice so that eventually it becomes a familiar one and one that they can follow, one that they trust. And I think what we've done over time is that we have been listening to the enemy for so long. He's been whispering in our ear and I think over time he's become a familiar voice. Over time, we've gotten spiritually distant from God, right? I talked about the the research that shows the distraction, and over time, we just slowly get further and further and further, and so now we're out of earshot. We can't hear what God is saying. God is whispering over here, but we can't hear him. But you know who we do hear? We hear the enemy's voice who's right over against us, and he's like, hey, I'm right here, and guess what? You need this, or you need this, you need this. And over time, we have come to believe him because we forgot what our father's voice sounded like. We need to become reacquainted with the intimacy of God. So that's the first thing. Let's move on to the next passage. Mark 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, this is a perfect example of Jesus praying. 
While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So there's a few things we want to look at in this passage, okay? Number one, Jesus gets up before the sun. Bro. Anybody have a 3 a.m. slot this week? Yeah? No? Yeah. They're hard. They are the real deal. You know what that takes? It takes real commitment, all right? To keep your eyes open in that prayer room? Come on, man. You got to think of Jesus. He's going out there before the sun comes up. Let's just call that 3 a.m. Let's just assume it's 3 a.m. Okay? No, thank you. Okay? Number two, he's out there praying before the sun comes up, and his disciples, like normal people, probably get up when the sun comes up, all right? So they get up, and they're like, where the heck did Jesus go? Like, he's gone. We have to go find him. So God knows how long it took for them to find Jesus, because he went off hiding somewhere. He's like, ooh, they'll never find me. You know, they're playing hide and seek in the morning. No. So he's gone, so they got to find him. So now let's say it's 9 a.m. Okay, let's just assume that it's now 9. Okay, and this is obviously speculation on the hours and such. I don't know how long he was out there or what. But I just want to put this into perspective. That Jesus woke up before the sunrise. The disciples got up like with the sun. They noticed he was gone, went out looking for him for however long. It's possible that Jesus was out there for like three to six hours. Like this isn't just a basic like, I'll wake up an hour earlier and I'll pray and read my Bible and write my devotions. No, 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 no. Like three to six hours just being with God. Because fun fact, he didn't have a printed Bible. (laughs) He didn't have a phone that he could listen to a podcast or listen to music on. No, you know what he had? He had the presence of God and nothing else. But he delighted to be there for three to six hours. Did anybody pray for three to six hours straight this week? No, 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 no. That would have been awful. (laughs) That would have been a long time. It would have been exhausting, I'm sure. It takes real commitment to do something like that. And so the disciples find him, and they're like, yo, man, everyone's looking for you. They want to see you do some stuff. They want to see you be the Messiah guy, all the things. And what does Jesus say? How does he respond to them? He says, nah, let's leave. What? They're like, oh, Jesus, we just got here. Everyone's looking for you. They want you to teach them. They want you to do all these things because in their minds, that's the reason he's there. And he's like, nope, we're going to go that way. We're going to go there. He says, that is why I have come. That is why I've come. Do you know what happens when you spend time in prayer? When you spend intimate time with the Father, when you know his voice so well and you listen to it, when you do what the psalmist in in, uh, Psalm 1 called delighting in the law of the Lord, listen to this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. Here's what happens. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You know what I see here? It's not just that the plant thrives, okay? Because that's obviously, you know, the plant's thriving, that's good. But the plant thrives because it's living within its purpose. God created that tree to grow fruit. 
He created it to stay nourished. That was the whole goal. And when it stays within its purpose, it thrives. In the same way, when you experience intimacy with the Father, you become realigned with your purpose. When you set aside that intentional time to be intimate with God, to be in his presence, you become realigned with your purpose. Because Jesus, look at him. He spends however many hours in prayer, speaking to God, listening for the voice of his shepherd, his father. And he walks out being pulled away by the crowds. Jesus, where have you been? Everyone's waiting. They all want to see you. And he's like, nope, we have to go there. We need to share the good news. There are people to be set free. There are lessons to be taught and learned. That is why I have come. He comes out of prayer with this like vindication. He's like, no, this is what we're doing because that's my purpose. It realigned his soul to where the spirit was wanting him to go. Jesus' schedule, because of his intimate knowing of God and God's voice and therefore his purpose, became exactly what he was there to do. His schedule was defined by intentionality around his purpose. He said, this is how I'm going to fill my day because that is why I'm here. I know why I'm here. I know what I have to do. So I'm going to order my life in a way that reflects that. I will get up stupid early to be with God and realign myself. And then I will go out and do what I am here for. His schedule was intentional. Let's fast forward to Mark 5. Okay, he's being intentional, doing his thing. He's teaching people in a nearby town exactly what he said he was going to do. Starting in verse 21. When Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of his synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus was like, okay, and went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him and the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, maybe if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He was, he was dead set on this. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they had said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. <laughs> Easy enough. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they all laughed at him, obviously. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. 
Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. They gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. Man, I love that. My favorite part of that story, maybe not my favorite part, but one of my favorite parts, it's just a day in the life of Jesus, right? He's doing his thing. He raises this girl from the dead and he walks out. He's walking out of the room and he goes, somebody get her a snack. <laughs> what a one-liner. That's so good. That is so good. That, like, that, that one-liner was so, so good. He's like, man, how, Jesus, how long have you been preparing that line? You know what I mean? He's like, all day. I've been waiting to say it. Somebody get her a snack. Uh, no, like it's like an action movie. You know, he puts the sunglasses on, walks away from the explosion, raised this girl from the dead, and is like, get her some food. You know, and he walks away. It's beautiful. It's a super cool moment. But no, this, this story does present a very beautiful picture for us to learn from. Okay, let's, let's think about this for a moment. Jesus is over here doing what we think is intentional. Okay, his agenda. He's got his agenda for the day. This is how he's going to, how he's going to teach people because this is why he has come, right? He's intentional with his schedule. So he's teaching people all the things. Somebody comes over, hey, save my daughter. He's like, all right, see ya. And he just leaves. And I imagine that all the disciples and everybody that was over there, the crowd is like, where is he going? He just started. He just got here. And so Jesus goes and he's walking along and he's walking in this crowd and then somebody touches him and his interruption gets interrupted. Like we're talking about a lot of interruptions here. So he's walking and rather than just like letting it go because, you know, great, I healed somebody. Whoop-de-doo. You know, and he keeps walking along. No, he goes, who touched me? Like I imagine, um, because they're in the crowd, you know, I imagine like New York City, like it's like everyone's jammed in like sardines and they're all walking around and you're like bumping through, trying to get through. And Jesus is walking. He's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, bro, everybody's touching you. Like, why are you making a big deal? Like you're, you're disrupting the flow of traffic right now, Jesus. Like, stop. It's not a big deal. Get over it. And he's like, no, I have to find this person because that person was more than just some power that left his body. It was a lesson for his disciples it was a human soul that he desired to be with. What does this show us? This shows us that Jesus' schedule was interruptible by the Spirit. Because I would venture to say that this whole you know, order of events was not on Jesus' agenda. But his union with God went deeper than some power over sickness and death. Like that was part of it, yes. But his union with God was in the very decisions that he made. Because remember, he says, this is why I have come, to do the will of my Father. Guess what? The Spirit shows up and says, hey, this is my will. And so God's like, Jesus is like, okay. Because in reality, that is why he has come. The Spirit shows up and he says, Jesus, I want you to do this instead. And Jesus is willing to drop everything to do this instead. Because his intimacy with the Father, his knowing of the voice, his intentionality that he has set aside now gives him the freedom to be interrupted by the Spirit of God. Because intentionality doesn't always negate the possibility of interruptions. 
the prayer team and I were reading this book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Um, and if you, yes, if you want to join the prayer team, you should join it. It's a great time. Um, and this book, it, this quote really stuck out to me. It's, it's an incredible book. And Jesus, uh, he's telling the story exactly that I'm talking about. And he says, Jesus was intentional and interruptible. There's a word for that posture, unhurried. Comes full circle. Why? Because, or it says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life, right? He quotes John Orberger, Dallas Willard, and he says, why? Because hurry kills love. Hurry hides behind anger, agitation, and self-centeredness, blinding our eyes to the truth that we are God's beloved and that she is sister, he is brother. Jesus was sitting here and he said, I, the disciples see it as an inconvenience, but we, he says, he's like, no, she is sister, his eyes aren't blind to that because he has spent time with God. I don't know about you, but this quote just really gets me because when I'm in a hurry, when I'm all worked up and my patience, you know, drops to like a negative two, you know what I'm talking about, you know? And somehow, somehow when your patience drops that low, everyone around you is just suddenly doing the wrong thing. Like, what's up with that? Like, like I, some of you are looking at your spouses right now. You're like, yeah, everything you do becomes wrong when my patience gets that low. Like, what's up with that, man? Like, it's true. <laughs> She's laughed. She's like, this is real. This is real for me. <laughs> I, know, I know that's not just me. Many of my worst moments involve me being in a hurry or stressed or preoccupied with all the things that are going on. And I just like don't have the patience to deal with things. Okay, and I know that's you too, because I know if you were late for church this morning, okay, I know that you weren't like, ah, walking out the door. What a beautiful day. God is so good. I love my family. We get to go participate in the community of believers today. Worship our Father in heaven. Praise God. It's such a beautiful, no, no, you don't do that. You're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, come on, come on. And then you hear, if you have kids, you hear the, the, it's obvious every single time. Wait, I forgot. Fill in the blank. It's often something that's like a basic human function, like brushing your teeth. And you're like, what? How did you forget to brush your teeth or put your shoes on? Like, what are you doing? And so you're super frustrated and suddenly you're losing your mind over something that, guess what? In about two hours, you will forget about it completely. And you are just like, so you're fuming. You're like, oh, you forgot something? You know, like, no, unacceptable. And then you forget about it. Notice what you have lost in your hurry. You have lost your capacity to love because you can't help but lash out at the people that you love most. You have lost your capacity for joy because you're put in a bad mood. You've lost your capacity for peace because all you can think about is the frantic hurry that you're in. You've lost your capacity for patience because, well, you know, obviously it's at a negative too. You've lost your capacity for gentleness and self-control because everything comes out of you just unfiltered. Hmm. Did anybody realize that that was just the fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> When you're super busy with work and or house chores and your kid won't stop bugging you or screaming or crying, I highly doubt that your first thoughts are like, man, I just love my kid. They're the best. No. You're doing dishes or laundry or something for work and you hear, mommy, mom, mom, mommy, mommy, mom, you know, or, or dad, daddy, dad, dad, hey, can you come, uh, can you come this, can you come this, whatever it is. 
And we all say the same thing. What do we say? We say, I'm busy. I'm busy. And we act like this isn't a problem. Our kids come to us and they say, hey, I need you for something. And you say, I'm busy. I'm busy. My wife and I, we recently took our one-year-old on a two-week vacation to California and to Mexico with my whole family. It was great. It was super fun. Yay vacation. Super awesome. But our last flight was from Phoenix to Indy. And we had a five-hour layover in Phoenix. Yeah, first mistake. It was so bad. It was, it was terrible. Uh, I told some of you this story already, so don't spoil it for the person next to you if I told you that's already. But she wouldn't nap. She wouldn't relax. She was just fussy for the whole, the whole layover. She, like, she closed her eyes for like 10 minutes, and I was like, started a movie. I'm like, okay, okay, sleep, sleep. No, wakes up, starts screaming again. We're like, ah, oh, shoot. And so I'm like, it's okay. She'll sleep on the plane. <laughs> we get on the plane. It's a three-hour flight from Phoenix to Indy, if you didn't know. And she screamed, like, I mean, screamed, like she'd never screamed before. Ears ringing, couldn't catch her breath. Voice started to get all, like, scratchy, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, are you in pain? Like, stop, you're probably hurting yourself. Like, what is it? But she just could not stop. And you want to know how long this lasted? The first two hours of this three-hour flight. Two hours. It was awful. And the worst part about it was this. Okay, I wanted to watch a movie on the flight. I started Kindergarten Cop when I was, uh, when we were during the layover. Great movie. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this movie. Downloaded it on Netflix. It's going to be great. Okay. And she wakes up and I was like, okay, it's fine. She'll sleep on the plane. I'll watch it on the plane. And so I'm sitting here holding her on the plane going, You know, part, it's part trying to calm her, but I'm also trying to calm myself down. I'm like doing my own breathing exercise here. I'm like blue in the face, like, ah, oh, you know, please go to sleep. And as a parent, if you're a parent, you know this. When they, in the hospital, when they give you your kid to take home and they're like, you know, actually trusting you with this small person and you're like, oh, really? Like, well, I don't know if I should be trusted with this person. And they give you some do's and don'ts before they send you off to the nightmare that is first-time parenting. And, and at the time, I didn't really think that their advice was all that helpful. I was like, okay, cool. Like, it was stuff about feeding, stuff about sleeping, yada, yada, yada. Oh, and don't shake the baby. <laughs> what? Why on earth would I shake my baby? I'm holding my little seven-pound angel. I'm like, oh, why would I shake her? That's ridiculous. Like, who would shake the baby? Well, I can truthfully say that after this experience on this flight, I considered shaking a baby. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I can't lie. I have to be honest. I considered shaking the baby. Because when you're, don't you, don't you judge me, okay? After, after two hours of your one-year-old screaming at you and you just want her to go to sleep so you can get on with your life and watch Kindergarten Cop, come on! You consider shaking that baby. <laughs> the frustration, it just boils over. You're like, oh, rage inside of me. It's like uncontainable. It's hard to explain. Maddie and I were literally on the verge of our own tantrum. Like we were literally almost crying and screaming ourselves like, stop, please. I tell you this story because this is exactly what I'm talking about. The way of Jesus, you know what it's not? It's not frustration and rage. 
it's not about shaking babies. <laughs> Which proves to me that the thing creating my frustration in that moment is not compatible with the kingdom of God. No, I'm not talking about my daughter. She's totally compatible with the kingdom of God. But my daughter crying isn't the reason that I was so mad. I was mad because I wanted to watch my movie. I wanted to move on with my life. I was mad because her crying, her expression of her needs, her pain that she might have experienced because she's been teething, the pain that she's experiencing, you want to know what that was? It was my inconvenience. I said, sure, you're doing all these things, but I'm being inconvenienced and no longer, like, like, like that quote before, we no longer see her as sister and him as brother. Suddenly, I couldn't see her the way I was supposed to see her anymore. She was just an inconvenience. Because I wouldn't shake my beautiful girl, but I would definitely shake an inconvenience. <laughs> After that conversation with Dallas Willard, you want to know what John Orberg said? He made the observation. He said, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. We simply can't live the way of Jesus when we are in such a blind rush. When the only thing that we can think about is the next thing on our calendar or on our to-do list or the movie that we want to finish, when everything around us is an inconvenience to the divine plan that we have created for ourselves. When we tried to be intentional, we tried to say, I planned out my whole day, hour by hour, try to order our lives a certain way, and suddenly there's an inconvenience and it ruins everything. By falling into this metaphorical hamster wheel of busyness going on and on and on, we've been drawn away from the kingdom of God, like I said before. We've become spiritually distant, out of earshot from God. We've been pulled away. Listen to this quote from Catholic writer uh, Ronald Rawheiser. He says, we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into a spiritual oblivion. Pfft, that's heavy. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these things. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than we are bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, the fantasy life that they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. A pathological busyness. Church, we just need to be honest with ourselves this morning. We need to confess we are pathologically busy. Because I'm telling you, even, when, even if some like, free time opens up this week, you're going to fill it with something else. Finally, I can get ahead on my to-do list. Finally, I can get to that thing that I've, been wait, that I've been putting off for so long. We have no problems with God. We have no problems with prayer, with any of those things. Those are all things that we would welcome into our lives, but we are just being distracted away from him. We're being pulled further and further away to become spiritually distant. But Jesus shows us a different way. He shows us a way that is intentional. You know, by definition, it is busy. There are things going on, but it's also interruptible. How can that be possible? How can you be busy but available? Here's how. Because if you order your life around anything other than the Spirit of God, then everything that the Spirit of God tells you to do in the moment will be an inconvenience. Let me say that again. If you order your life around anything other than the Spirit of God, then every time he calls you to do something in the moment, it will come as an inconvenience. But if you order your life around the Spirit of God, then everything that he calls you to in the moment will be a welcome blessing. Yeah. 
like we see in Jesus here. He ordered his life around the spirit of God, whether that meant his plans or not his plans. Whatever works best, he's like, it's fine with me because I'm just here to follow the spirit of God. And so interruptions become a welcome blessing. To put it in other words, if you intentionally order your life, using these words that we've used, if you intentionally order your life around intimacy with the Father and your purpose as an image bearer, if you loosen up your schedule so that there's room for the things that matter, then interruptions from God are absolutely welcome because your purpose is to follow the spirit. So by welcoming the interruption, you're therefore being intentional about living in your purpose and walking in step with God. You're not getting taken away from your intentionality, you're living into it. Now there's one thing I want to clarify. I'm not saying that you should just bail on everything. Please don't just start bailing on all your meetings. I mean, like my pastor told me it was okay. It's in the name of welcoming interruptions. So sorry, I had to stop for some food on the way to my meeting. You know, like, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. What this is about is looking up once in a while. Like, get your face out of your phone. Get your face out of your phone. Create better boundaries that allow you to be with family and friends and the community of believers. These things are important. We can't act like they're not. Next time you're doing dishes and your kid wants to play with you or wants, needs you for something, before you tell them, I'm busy, think for a second. Just stop. Pause. Think to yourself, do I need to be doing the dishes right now? <laughs> Say, if I'm being intentional, I know that I can do the, the dishes later, so right now it's more important for me to be with my kids, to be a present parent. Or maybe it goes the other way. Because that's okay too. If I'm being intentional, I know that I have to do the dishes right now because X, Y, Z is happening later. I have the rest of the afternoon set aside to be with my kids or we're gonna hang out, we're having a movie night or something like that. Whatever it is, be intentional so that you're open to interruptions and be intentional with your interruptions. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying here? Earlier, I used the phrase blind rush. A blind rush where you're just not seeing anything. And that's what we're in. We're in this pathological busyness, this blind rush. What Jesus is showing us to do is open our eyes. Look around, be intentional with the way that we use our time to be intimate with the Father, intentional about our purpose and interruptible when the Spirit leads us somewhere else. In the words of another influential man in my life, <clears throat> life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Ferris Bueller. It's a good one. But it's so real. Don't miss the life that God has for you. The life and life to the full that he says to bring. He says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And we're over here saying, no, that's okay. I'd rather be distracted. I'd rather try to fill my schedule rather than letting you fill it. Don't miss out on the opportunities that the Spirit is presenting with you. Don't miss out on the outpouring of His Spirit. Church, if we want to see an outpouring of God's Spirit, prepare your schedule. Make space for the outpouring to take place in. As most of you know, this last week we, we committed to a week of nonstop prayer, and we did it. Yeah, we did it. 168 hours, one whole week, dedicated to prayer. 
a bold vision of 168 hours. Let's look at this last week as a proof of concept, shall we? Okay, we wanted an outpouring. God, we're gonna pray for you to pour your spirit out. And so what do we do? We gave God our schedules. We set aside intentional time in our days to be intimate with Jesus, to spend time in his presence, listening to him, speaking with him. We were willing to be interrupted in our regular day-to-day routines to pray for an hour, because I know that's not just part of your normal routine to go pray at 3 a.m., to go pray at 1 p.m., you know, right before you go to work, or right after you get off work. That's not in the normal routine, I'm sure. We were willing to be interrupted and look at the pouring out of God's spirit that happened because of it. If you participated in this week of prayer, I'm sure you've experienced some sort of beautiful gift from it, whether it be rest, direction, formation, you know, forgiveness, peace, joy, you name it. Whatever it is, you have experienced God in some real way this week. That's the outpouring of God's Spirit on you. That's what we're talking about. The outpouring of the Spirit isn't some just big event where the, the tongues of fire come down and we're like, oh, it's here, oh, you know, like this is the outpouring of God's Spirit. No, the outpouring of God's Spirit can be subtle. It can be the whisper. It can be what you don't expect. It can be as simple as peace in a time of anxiety. And what's crazy is that you can have that all the time. In fact, you were meant to have it all the time. Your purpose was to have it all the time. You were made to walk in union with God. I encourage you today, before you go, stop by the prayer room. Okay? Even if, it, even if you don't go in there to pray, stop by the prayer room and look at the wall. You'll see what happened this week. And don't you tell me that that is not a pouring out of God's spirit. (laughs) Like, don't you tell me that that isn't God moving, that that is exactly what God has desired for his people. It is to see prayer requests lifted up to God, prayers answered. It's to see confessions. We have a a shredder in there that is full of confessions because God says, give it to me and I'll get rid of it. There are paintings on the walls of images that people had received that people were like, I feel like God's showing me this. And so they paint it and they put it on the wall. We have seen what God has done this week. And I encourage you, go check it out. That's what happens when we open up our schedule for an outpouring from God. That's what happens. When we create space in our schedule, he fills it. And sometimes it's just what we need to become aware of how he was already there, how he was already moving. We were just too blind to see it. I guarantee a lot of the things on that wall were already going to happen anyways, and were already going on in those people's lives. But guess what? Because they spent an hour in prayer, they were able to realize it. They were able to see the faithfulness of God taking place in real time. Rather than, you know, later on in life, they're like, wow, God got me through that. I didn't even realize that. No, they know. They realize that you know why? Because they spent time with him and they know his voice. They learned the voice of their shepherd. So my question for you today is this. What needs to change? Personally, I think we should ask ourselves that question after every sermon. You know, if we want to be serious about following Jesus, we should always ask ourselves, what needs to change in my life to be more like Jesus? But for realsies today, Okay, what needs to change? 
What needs to go? Is there anything in your schedule that's unnecessary that only adds to the hurry that you experience? I'm challenging you today, church. Surrender your schedule to Jesus. I'm challenging you. This is so hard. This is so hard to do. The time, like time is the one thing that we can't get more of, but it's the one thing that we're always craving more of. Surrender that to Jesus. Time is such a valuable currency and he desires it. And he doesn't desire it so that he can have time with you because he just needs the attention. No, he wants it for you so that you can become whole, so that you may have life and have it to the full. Take a real look, a long look at your calendar and give it over. At the beginning, I asked you, what would you say to me if I asked what your most important things, what you care about, your purpose, your values? And there's two reasons that I asked you that. Number one is as a follower of Jesus, he should have been at the top of that list. Reality check. Is Jesus the first thing you wrote down? Period. It's not, it's not a negotiation. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus first and foremost. That is your identity. That is your purpose. Everything in life is now viewed through the lens of Jesus, his teachings, his lifestyle. That's, we are a new creation. Being born into Christ Jesus, we are a new creation under him. We have a new lens. We have a new worldview. The second thing, second reason I asked that question is because I want you to look at that list today. And if you didn't write it down, then write it down at some point today. Be honest. I want you to look at that list and then I want you to look at your calendar. Do they match up? Do they match up? In the free time that you may or may not have, what would you typically end up filling it with? Does that match your, your list? Just think about it. Just take some time to reassess your schedule. Church, you want that void filled. You want the filling of the Spirit. You want the outpouring from God. You want more, 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 more of you, Jesus. Well, then you have to make room. He's begging you. He says, I'm right here. I'm standing right here. You can have as much of me as you want. You just have to make space. You just have to make room. If you want to see God transform your life, if you want to see God make you holy, if you want to become a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then you have to make room. It starts with that schedule of yours. Be intentional with your time. It's not impossible. It's just really hard. It's hard enough to make a habit, to start a new habit, but because we've become so busy and so spiritually distant, and we've had to fill our schedules to max capacity, we now, in order to start a new habit, we have to break another habit because there's not enough room for a new one. We gotta get rid of other ones. And so now it's super difficult. And I understand that I have my own habits that I have to break. I'm trying to cleanse myself of technology and trying to move in this direction of like, why am I on my phone so much? I noticed I'm sitting on the couch and, and my kid is over here playing. And what am I doing? 
I'm looking at emails. I said, what am I doing? We have to break our bad habits and make new ones. But friends, we have to do it. I know it's hard, but it has to happen. We have to. Like, please don't walk away from this and just move on with your life. This is for your benefit. God wants to move in your life. He wants to pour his spirit out on his children. This community could be something so beautiful with the spirit of God moving among all of us. We just have to make room. We just have to do the hard work of being intentional with our time. Because what you are doing with your time is who you are becoming. So looking at your schedule, who are you becoming? Are you becoming a spirit-filled person who constantly experiences an outpouring of God's spirit? Or are you a non-present, stressed, over-busy person in a blind rush to get through everything that life has to offer? And you're at a point where you're not even controlling your schedule anymore. You're just like, what's on the agenda this week? I don't make my own plans anymore. I just look at whatever this calendar tells me to do. Today, we surrender our schedules to the God that we claim to follow. We can praise, we can, we can lift our hands, we can sing songs all we want. But until we leave this room and follow Jesus out there, what are we claiming? So I implore you today, surrender your schedule. Make room for the spirit of God to move. Give it up to the God that we claim to follow. Let's just pray. Spirit of God. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us today. Would you just push us in the way that we need to be pushed to say, you can do it. God, would we be reminded that you believe in us? That you believe that it's possible? That you wouldn't have chosen it, you wouldn't have chosen us if you didn't think it was doable. God, I ask that today we would just take a look at our reality and give it to you. That we would take a look at our schedule and hand it over to you, to the one who desires it, to the one who has conquered it all. Would we just take a second look? Would we have a reality check today, Father, in your name? In Jesus' name, with the power and authority of Jesus to wash over our schedules, to wash over our time, over our relationships, would it just permeate everything that we do and everything that we are? We know that all of these things start with time. When we start giving time to you, we know that we will experience transformation. We know that we will see violence go down. We know that we will see justice go up. We know that we will see poverty go down. We know that we will see generosity go up. We know that we will see the city come to life in Jesus' name by the kingdom of heaven. And the wall between heaven and earth will get so thin we can't even see it anymore. And it all starts with time. So God, would that end goal be something that encourages enough, that's worth it enough to do the hard thing of giving you our schedule? Lord, I love this community and I just thank you that we are on this journey with you, that you have called us to be your partners in ministry. Would you change our hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen.